we actually have a, a series that Quincy Jonesford did for us. We have a series with Hans Zimmer, Timbaland, um, The Wizards, who've written and produced songs for Katy Perry, Rihanna, Britney Spears. You know, the other term that's used a lot in music licensing is needle drop, which is when you want to just license one piece of music for one scene, which you'll see a lot more in network television, where there's a composer and it's not wall-to-wall music versus reality television, where it would make sense to do a blanket license. Welcome to Breaking Down the Business, your one-stop shop for everything you need to know to succeed in today's music business. Brought to you by The Epiphany Network. So, yo, Rashad, who do we have on the show today? We have Miss Tyra Elder on the show today. Tyra, I like her. And she is the U.S. Broadcast Manager for Extreme Music. You know what that is? That's the big dogs, music licensing house. Yes, the production music side of Sony ATV. We're going to learn how to license your music for use in television and film. Quiet on the set. (laughs) We're going on TV today. Yes, we are. We're going to learn the ins and outs of music licensing. We're going to learn the styles of music that are in high demand on television shows today. What style is that? You got to listen. Listen to find out. I don't want to produce the show and got to listen to it too. It's like, come on. That's that's part of your job, man. (sighs) Okay. (laughs) Breaking it down. You're listening to Breaking Down the Business. Man, well, welcome to another episode of Breaking Down the Business with your host, Rashad Holiday, wow. <laughs> and today, we are going to have a great conversation with somebody that um, I'm sure a lot of you want to hear from. Her name is Tyra Elder. And uh, I'm going to let Tyra introduce herself and tell us what she does. So, Tyra, your name is Tyra Elder. Yes. Tell us who you are, where you're from, what you do, and uh, and we'll just have a great conversation. Sounds good. Well, thanks for having me, first of all. You know, thanks to you and Akil. Um, I currently work for a company called Extreme Music. We are the production music arm of Sony ATV. I've been there for close to five years now. Um, I'm originally from Philadelphia. I worked out of the New York office for a few years, and now I'm out here in L.A. Uh, My title at Extreme is U.S. Broadcast Manager. Um, I was promoted to that role, actually, when I came out here to L.A. So, yeah, that's where I'm at. That's awesome. So... Tell us a little bit about your music business background. Um, how what what actually got you into the music business? Um, well, that's an interesting question. So, I've, I've worked in the music professionally since 2005. Um, my first professional music job was at EMI Music Publishing. I was there for close to five years, and then from there, I worked freelance for a independent label that was based right outside of Philadelphia, like in Bremar, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. called rope dope and then I also worked for a little bit at a startup in Dumbo, Brooklyn. Um, and what kind of started me in music, honestly, um, again, won't go too far back, but I, I went in Philly, you know, when I was still in Philly in school, I worked for um, a pharmaceutical company, actually, all while I was in college. And when I graduated, I had a conversation with one of the counselors who asked me, you know, what I wanted to do. And, you know, I had my resume there and I'm, you know, speaking to her about that. And she pushed the resume to the side and she asked me, okay, now what do you want to do? And 
And um, it was really confronting because I, I never had somebody like really, really ask me that, you know, put me on the spot like that. And I told her, I'm like, well, you know, I've always liked music, been interested in music, um, would love to work in the music industry. And she then said, OK, well, what have you done? What, what books have you read? Um, what research have you done? Have you ever tried to get an internship? And I'm like, well, no. You know, I, I didn't do that. And in my mind, I lived in Philly. So it's like, if you're not in LA or New York, it's not even possible. So, um, but from that conversation, it just kind of catapulted. From that, she challenged me to, to try it. And I did. Here I am. So... So she helped you make like a, a one of the best decisions of your life. Yeah, she really did change the whole course from that conversation. So were you did were you um, as a child were you a musician? Did you learn how to play an instrument or anything mm, like that? Nope. Nope, I don't play any instruments. I don't sing. I just always love music. You know, it was just always on growing up. Uh-huh. Um really like a lot of 70s soul music, you know, Earth Wind and Fire, all the classics. I just always liked it. Um, but yeah, don't don't play any instruments or anything. I started out wanting to be an A and R. Um, that was my first sort of, you know, what I was interested in when I started working in it. And um, you know, from there I I landed where I am now in music licensing. Well, that's awesome. So um tell us about music licensing. What exactly is music licensing for those that don't know? So in the in the context of this conversation and, and kind of like what I do. Music licensing is the process of licensing a piece of music for generally and, and you know, what we do at Extreme is, is synchronization licensing. So for use in film, television, advertising, um, video games, trailers, any sort of a sync license is anytime you sync a audio to in time relation to um, a visual. So that's what music licensing is in the context of what we do at Extreme. Tell us about Extreme. Like how big is Extreme in the music licensing world or music library world? We actually, um, we're one of the smaller libraries in terms of the number of copyright, but we are one of the larger libraries in terms of market share. Um, you know, for us, it's about quality over quantity. You know, there's a lot of music libraries that have a couple hundred thousand tracks, but they may not all be that great. You know, and for us, you know, every track in our library, we stand behind. So that's awesome. I mean, it, and a lot of people aren't even aware of the whole music licensing music library world. So, um, I mean, and that's part of what this episode is about for those who who aspire to get music out there in any kind of way. Like what will be the steps for like a, a person who's like maybe an indie artist or an aspiring composer, producer? How would they actually be able to get music into Extreme's library? Well, Extreme, we actually don't take any unsolicited material. Um, so a lot of the music in our library is based on existing relationships that we have. Um, not saying that it, it can't happen, but it, it's 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 very difficult for that to happen. Um, however, there there are a lot of other music libraries who are like non-exclusive and even some exclusive ones who are a lot more open in terms of the music that they take in. Um, so, you know, my, my suggestion would just be research, you know, look, look into what libraries are out there what their specifications and requirements are and go from there. Um, you know, there, there is opportunity there for sure. Um, just, you know, with the extreme specifically, it, it, I don't want to give the impression that it's like a, you know, for, for us, it's not as easy to just get music in a library. Gotcha. It would help if you knew somebody at extreme or had some kind of relationship with Sony or something. It, yeah, it could help. Okay. Yeah. Yep. 
it's still ultimately the decision of our A&R department, um, but it, it could potentially help. So you say you work in uh, production music. Tell us what production music is. Uh, production music is essentially, it's, it's like another name for stock music. So what that means is we have a catalog of music that was created specifically for production. Um, it's not sold commercially anywhere. You, you, you know, you, it's not played on a radio. It's just for production. So it's sort of like the same philosophy behind like stock images, you know, where you go to, if you want to license an image for use in TV or wherever else you go to whoever owns the image and you pay a licensing fee. So it's the same sort of philosophy, but with music. With Extreme, I mean, um, what shows do uh, does Extreme license music to? Um, well, we have quite a bit of uh, relationships or quite a few relationships with a lot of different networks, production companies and music supervisors, um, just to name a few. Um, History, Pawn Stars on History is, is one that we license music for. That's like a pretty big show for them. Uh, Love and Hip Hop on VH1 is another one. Catfish on MTV. Um, we got a placement in the last season of Empire. Um, we also got a placement in the last season of power. So, or actually might've been the first season of power, but yeah, we, you know, we're, we're in quite a bit. Pretty much. I mean, the reputation for a stream is exactly what you said is, I mean, good quality music Mm -hmm. and you actually have, even aside from production music, you actually have songs as well, right? Yes. Yeah, Yeah. we do. Yeah. Yeah. We, um, you know, historically, production music was always kind of looked at as like elevator music. Like that was sort of the the stigma that was attached to it. Um, and the idea of our CEO at the time, you know, was to create a library of music that could compete with like commercial music. You know, so essentially, if someone wants something that sounds like a popular song, like a Beyonce or a Rihanna, but you don't have the budget for it to have a place where you can go and get something that sounds close to as good as that, that that's kind of like the philosophy behind what we do. That's good. And so do you have writers and, and producers or even artists who actually do deals with Extreme? Yes, we have. Um, we actually have a, a series that Quincy Jones for, did for us. Um, we have a series with Hans Zimmer, Timbaland, um, The Wizards, who've written and produced songs for Katy Perry, Rihanna, Britney Spears. One of the more recent deals, I'll say within the last year or so, we did was with um, Midi Mafia, who produced 21 Questions by 50 Cent mm-hmm. and um, When I See You by Fantasia. So, yeah, we, we have um, deals in place with quite a few established artists and composers. And when they do those kind of deals, are they like are they kind of like albums? Yeah, in some cases we'll do like they'll have their own series. So like Extreme, our catalog is broken out into what we call labels. Um, and each label or series has like a different focus, like for the style of music. So, you know, our X series is all of our like popular music, which you would hear on like the radio, more commercial music. So all of the like hip hop and rock and pop. And then we also have director's cut, which is our film score library or label. So all of the music in that library is, is what you would use for film, you know, composition, I'm sorry, for in film and then also like trailer music. Well, actually we have a separate library for trailer music. Um, We tried to set the library up to cater to the different types of media that we service um, and, and all of our clients. So, so yeah. I'm curious about a lot of this stuff. So tell me about like video games. 
What's the process that you guys do go through to actually to get music on a video game? That is the one media that I don't work a lot with um, and I haven't worked uh-huh. much with. So I couldn't really speak to video games. Um, you know, I do have coworkers that deal with that um, portion of the market and have done some licenses, but I don't deal directly with it. So I, I don't want to oh. tell you something that is, is not accurate. So for, yeah, I couldn't really speak to video games too much. No problema, no problema. Maybe, how about commercials? Yeah, I've done... I've done some, I mean, my focus pretty much since I've been at Extreme has been television, but there was a time where I did have some ad clients and post houses that I dealt with as well. So specifically, what's your question about like advertising? Uh, Placing music onto a a television commercial, like what's the process? So the process is, you know, I mean, and this is kind of like, I guess the process with any media, Um, you'll have a client who will come to you and with a music brief and they'll say, you know, we're looking for a song that sounds like X, Y, and Z for a particular commercial spot or, you know, for a scene in a film or for television show, you know, whatever it is. And they'll generally have some references or a description of what it is that they're looking for. And then we'll go into the catalog and we'll build a playlist for them um, and send it over. And then they'll tell us, okay, this song works or you know, I kind of like this, but I wish it was a little bit more like X and and that's the process until they come or find a song that they like and then they then want to license. It's a lot like placing a song on an artist, except the difference would be, would be a commercial. Right. Yep. Yeah. So it's just got to be the right fit for the right brand, mm-hmm. the right song for the right situation and boom. Yeah. It, it makes it a whole lot easier just thinking that, I mean, if it's an artist or it's a commercial or whatever, it, 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 the music is just going to fit whatever kind of way, whatever they're looking for. If I want to place a song on an artist, I'm in artist mode. If I want to place a song in a commercial, I want to, I'm in commercial mode. Right. Is there, um like for commercials, placing music in commercials, do you, is there a time, for, like, a, like a time limit on the music? Like, is it like a minute or 30 seconds or is it, do they just take like a whole song and then they'll figure out? the arrangement or how they're going to use it? We generally pitch full versions, which are like, you know, anywhere from three to four minutes in length, unless it's like a a classic orchestral piece, which will Mm -hmm. a lot of times be longer. But yeah, we generally always pitch like a full version. And then, you know, the editors will cut it down to however it is they want the song to fit in the spot. Okay. So as, as a, as a composer, producer, songwriter, I can just do what I do and then they can edit it from that point. Yes. Um, one thing I will note, um, specifically for TV is that, uh, TV editors for TV editors, like a song will always have to have a sting out, like a a actual punctuation at the end of a song because they'll need that to transition from track to track in a specific scene. So songs that just fade out will not work. So there does need to be some sort of like science behind when you're putting a track together you know, in terms of it, like having an intro and then some sort of like middle section where it like peaks and rises. And then there always has to be like a, a definitive ending of a song. I love that. That's great information right there. So all those listeners do not do a fade out when you're submitting music for television. Use a sting out, a hard, a hard ending. Yep. Okay. So, um, and does that apply to like songs and production music? Yeah, I mean, every everything in our library, like even if it's a song with a vocal there, you know, because 
if we have a vocal version, there's always an instrumental version also, because you don't know what a person might need. You know, like a client might want a song with a vocal, but they might also, another client might want a song that's just an instrumental. So it's always to a producer's benefit if they're going to submit music that has both. Actually, your instrumental, your vocal, if you have any minus mixes, all of your stems, everything that you have in association with a specific track, it's to your benefit if you have all of those things available. Okay. And then from the admin perspective, what all do I have to turn in? Like if I'm turning in like the credits and all that stuff, what, what stuff do you need from me as a, as a composer producer? Just your PRO information generally. Just, um, you know, definitely want to be signed with the PRO. So someone is collecting your your portion of a copyright as far as like performance royalties. Um, so either, you know, if you're signed with ASCAP or BMI or CSAT, submit all of that information. So with library music, you want to be the owner of your, your copyright because that's the only way you are able to license it to a music library, you know, so we don't, we don't work with um, generally people who have licensing or publishing deals. Now, you know, I'll go back for a minute because I know that might be confusing because I just named all of these major label producers and artists that we work with. Generally, those deals are set up where they're executive producing a series. So it may not necessarily be, um, you know, they, they might be overseeing production on it. So yeah, so all of the the artists in this world generally are independent. You know, they they own their the own music, right? Masters, right? Exactly. That's pretty much uh, something that's uh, you you have to be the copyright or the master owner to even get in a library situation for the most part. Yes. Gotcha. Yeah. Out of curiosity, what is the most expensive license that you've seen? Yeah, you don't have to tell us what it was, but like, how much was the biggest sync license that you've seen? Well, I mean, I could share one that's actually just published, you know, public knowledge. Um, okay. That was uh, a couple years back. There was Mad Men licensed a Beatles song for $250,000. And that's one song that was used in one episode of the show for probably a couple minutes. And it was a six-figure license. Woo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Need some of that Beatles catalog money. Wow. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's definitely an extreme example but you know that's just a really you know well-known and established artist and get six figures and licensing income off of just one usage you know it's fine i know a little bit about music licensing and i know that sometimes a song is just like one of those perfect songs for licensing mm-hmm. what what um you know maybe on a recent thing what is a song that's been licensed a lot that you're aware of that's like been used over and over television, film projects. Well, again, I'll just give like a, a, a commercial song example just because, you know, that's what everybody would be familiar with. You know, we all know Pharrell's Happy was a huge song. It was everywhere, you know, mm-hmm. and in ad campaigns, everywhere on television. And I mean, that's that's really interesting. The fact that it came from a film and then went all these other places. Yeah. So that's definitely a, uh, an example of a song that kind of blew up. Yeah. On uh, the same side from, and radio. Yeah. Just aside from radio, just even just on the licensing side. Mm-hmm. I know um, maybe about four or five years ago mm-hmm. was a song called How You Like Me Now by a, a group called The Heavy. Yes, that, they, that was a big one. Yeah, they use that in the licensing world a lot. I just heard it on a lot of television shows and films. 
Mm-hmm. And it actually wasn't like a big radio hit. Right. Yeah, it just ended up being one of those songs that, that's licensed. Yeah. You, are you that, aware? That is actually one, too, that we got, you know, requests for a lot, like as a reference. Like, as a know, reference? You have something that sounds like X. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Tell me about some of the more notable, notable moments of your career, like um, in terms of working with artists or meeting somebody significant. Well, actually, for me, the, one of the, the most notable moments was more of like a personal achievement and didn't involve anyone famous necessarily. Um, when I worked at the startup in Dumbo, um, it was really that like a startup. It was, you know, this guy who owned the studio and he was a DJ. And, and only in the studio, he had you know, obviously a lot of artists and producers that would come in independent who would come rent the studio. And so he had this idea. This was probably, this was around like 2009. So around that time is when I feel like a lot of music libraries just started kind of popping up, you know, with all the changes in the music industry going from when everything kind of went to digital. Um, it, it changed, it changed, it, you know, it changed the industry a lot. You know, there, there wasn't as much of a focus on the mechanical royalties as, as there once was because there was no CD sales, um, right. which I mean, now has, you know, it's kind of shifted, turned around a little bit now that there's digital, but it, it just changed again, you know, with streaming. But back then with that change, a lot of people realized how profitable sync licensing was. So there was a lot of focus on that around that time. But yeah, so I was there at this company and, um, you know, the first thing I had to do, obviously, was was build a catalog of music. Um, so I remember the first person that, that signed with us, you know, an independent artist, like the feeling that I felt like, wow, this person is like entrusting their art to me. That that was a notable moment for me. Um, yeah, and that. then, yeah. And then also taking it from there, like, and actually getting some licenses. And and that was, you know, it, it wasn't an easy thing, like calling, you know, even though I had worked at EMI previously, I was now at a company that was not known, you know, so I was, I was used to working for a company where I would call and say, oh, I'm calling from EMI and people know who you are and, you know, we'll talk to you to a company that nobody knew of, you know? So mm-hmm. there were like a few people who I work with today like who are my clients now who like took the time to speak to me and would answer my questions and even tell me what I needed to do in terms of submitting music and how I need to submit it. So, you know, there, there were people that were willing to help that, and you know, those people you always remember. Were you able to dig into your Rolodex and call some people that you already have relationships with? Um, from me and my here, here and there. I mean, they're, they're well, production music again, like our, our clients wouldn't necessarily be the same. I reached out to like a couple people who, again, gave me like some pointers on who I should reach out to or, or who would be the best person. But again, once you get the contact, you still have to go from a who are you, you know, yeah, type of thing. And, and what's your library and what do you guys do and who do you have, you know. So and, you know, these people get these uh, music supervisors and um, people who handle music licensing at networks, they, they're you know, they get calls all the time. So it's like, you know, to get somebody's ear and have them really have a conversation with you, it, it does take something. Tell us uh, what a blanket license is. So a blanket license is just essentially um, a, a license which would cover a production uh, for use of any track in a library. So, you know, for a television show, any given reality show will use hundreds of tracks. If you watch any reality show and really pay attention, there are several music changes in any given scene. So it's just like a constant change of music. And it's meant to not interfere with the dialogue. So it's in the background, but it's there. Mm -hmm. Um, So 
with the need of several hundred pews for any specific, you know, or particular production, you're going to nine times out of 10 do a blanket license. So it wouldn't just be, you know, the other term that's used a lot in music licensing is needle drop, which is when you want to just license one piece of music for one scene, which you'll see a lot more in network television, where there is a composer and it's not wall-to-wall music. It's more like a on a per cue or source cue basis versus reality television where it would make sense to do a blanket license that's going to cover you for everything can you talk to us about buyouts like what is a buyout a buyout with the composer is just basically you pay them or in some cases because not in all if you're a more established person you may be eligible for an advance from a library you know that they'll pay you um and i mean any any library deal just like any publishing deal they take on the ownership of your copyright so you no longer have it it's then theirs you know forever Mm -hmm. um but you will always generate income from it so yeah buyout is just basically like i'm buying you (laughs) your rights to the to the track okay so and it's it's more or less like an advance on your on your sync sync fees yes okay yeah it's it's and that's not the standard most libraries don't pay any sort of advance. It's more mm. just like a, you know, you're going to sign with us and, and this is what the agreement is. It does happen, but not generally. Okay. And what, and, and I guess I'm just asking this just in a general sense, what would be like a typical deal between a composer and a library, like from a business perspective? So a deal can range anywhere from 50-50 to 60-40 to 70-30. And that just means like how the income is split between the library and the composer. So 50-50 would just mean any license that the library grants, they would then split the income 50-50 with the composer. So the library will keep 50% and the artist or I'm sorry, producer would get the other 50%. Um, and yeah. it also works that way on the back end too. Like when I, you know, we spoke about performance um, royalties a little earlier. So ASCAP and BMI, they're already set up to pay out that way. They will issue 50% of whatever income that's generated for a particular track directly to the publisher and the other 50% directly to the writer. Gotcha. So I, it, when you really think about it, that's, that's a great deal compared to a, an artist deal at a label. Okay, so um, tell us about a, an exclusive deal and a non-exclusive deal. So exclusive deal just means that, um, like, you know, I, I'll just use the example of Extreme again. Like, everything in our library is exclusive. Now, what that means is that the songs that we have, you're not going to find them in any other music library. The benefit to that for us and the benefit to our writers and composers is networks, production companies, and music supervisors for them. They want to get what's easy. You know, they don't want to deal with, with any sort of legal problems. Um, you know, if they know they're getting something from you and you own it and it's one-stop shop, which is a lot of times the reason, another reason why they might go to a library to begin with, you know, because otherwise you have to clear tracks with the label and you have to clear them with the publisher to a library you're getting clearance for both in one place and you're paying one licensing fee you don't have to go to the publisher you don't have to go to a label you can it's a one-stop shop you can get everything done in one place right and it's pre-cleared so it's not like a you know i need to get this person's permission to use the music in this way it's it's all you just say hey i want to license the song and you license it that's it 
So extreme is pretty much exclusive. So could you talk tell us what non-exclusive is, even so, though you guys don't do it? Yeah, non-exclusive is um there are some libraries that in in order to you know because it <laughs> you have to be I would say you would probably need to be pretty established in order to get someone to agree to give you the rights to their music exclusively. Mm-hmm. Um, you know they would want, and it makes sense. You know, like a person would want some sort of guarantee that if I give you the rights to this exclusively, I'm going to see some traction on it. There are some libraries that might just be starting up, so they might say, "Okay, you can work with us non-exclusively," which means that we'll take your music and we'll try to pitch it. We'll only collect on anything or any placements that we actually place, but in the meantime, you can also go and you can work with other libraries. Which, from the artist's perspective, that might be a good deal. But again, you, I would recommend people always considering how that looks to the licensee. There could be a lot of issues with that, you know, just with the because what happens is that they'll take the track and then they'll retitle it with um with the PRO. So it'll be like they'll re-register your track, list themselves as the publisher, and then you'll still get the writing credit. But one song and it's in four or five different libraries, it, it could just get a little messy. Yeah. And do you find that with even with uh, production music as well as songs? Can they retitle full songs? as well as production music in those kinds of situations? You just mean like a, a one with a vocal versus an instrumental? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. Um, yes. Yes, they can they can do that with um with both. Okay. So you you definitely acknowledge that that in uh non exclusive deals it could be a little tricky with the retitling of, of, of songs. You know, like anything, you you know, you just kinda gotta weigh it, the the pros and the cons for what you were trying to do and, and what the end game is. Okay. Okay. So do you find that that um, artists are actually finding a career through music licensing before actually going commercial? Have you seen any examples of that? Like a few indie bands where their songs were licensed and like a commercial and that really catapulted their career. Like nobody knew who they were until, exactly. you know, they had a song that was licensed commercial that blew up. So, yeah, that, that can definitely happen. Yeah. Do you know any examples of that? Like some artists who... Have... I can't think of any off the top of my head. Um, uh-huh. We also had this one other group a little while back that um, I think they ended up signing with Epic. Very nice. Here's a question for production music. Which genre of production music is licensed the most? Um, I would say... For reality shows generally, it's it's not really always um, genre specific. It's more based on mood and tone. Um, so what I mean by that is, you know, every, yeah, I'll say pretty much every reality show, there's different moments that you'll need specific pieces of music for. You know, there's always going to be tension. Um, there's always going to be comedic moments. Um, there's always going to be... You know, if you have like a competition show, there's, uh, you know, the reveal um, or or when, you know, deliberation, like there's all types of different just moods in a, in a show that uh, clients will want music for. So in some cases, you know, and then this is the genre is kind of like after the initial mood and tone is addressed, you know, you might have some urban comedic music or urban uh, tension music. But it, it, it's, it's a little different on that side, like in terms of what's needed. And, and again, this is only for reality shows specifically, um, which I have the most experience with. Um, but yeah, so for that, I mean, for advertising, 
indie music is still pretty popular, like the sort of upbeat, positive, anthemic um, are keywords that you always hear associated with um, advertising campaigns. So that's a big one there. Um, and, you know, it, everything else, it can vary. It just really would depend on the project. Mm-hmm. And then I, I, this is just a, a question. I know I'm sure a lot of our listeners may kind of wonder this. So if I actually got like one of my songs on a television show, a reality show, is there any, if you have a blanket license already in, in etched in stone, would there be any upfront money for usage on something like that? So it would depend on the type of blanket license you're referring to, right? If it's a blanket license in terms of like there's a network that has paid an annual fee that's going to cover all of their sub networks, Mm -hmm. then yeah, every artist does get like a piece of that. There's some sort of like calculation or equation that's used um, on the front end. Mm -hmm. Um, If it's a, if it's a, well, yeah, it it would kind of work, work that way in, in both cases. So yes. The answer okay. is a short answer is yes. It just um, it, it may not be as much if it was just like a, a single song usage, you mm-hmm. know, where like, OK, it's just this one song that I'm going to use. You you might see a little bit more up front. So I guess I mean, and I know that every song and every track is its own entity and it, and it can vary between any of them. So just in general, like what would the low end be and then what would the high end be for the fee? Um, you're talking about, well, yeah, I guess a sink, e- a sink license. Yeah, the easiest way to head it. Well, I would say low end would be a few hundred dollars and high end, which, you know, if we want to compare it to, um, again, a, a major label song could be anywhere from tens of thousands to, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars with okay. like with the Madman example. So, yeah, it, it covers like a huge spectrum. Yes. And for those who may be wondering on an, on another level, if if you haven't done anything, you don't have a name or anything like that, you're probably going to be on the low end. Yes. Or no, or no end. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I would definitely say it, it, it. This again would just depend on where your music is. Like if you're if you're with a the library, then I mean you you can probably do pretty well, but it it would just take some time, you know, to build up. Um, yeah, because let's, let's, it, it, let's talk about that. Yeah. Like, 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 basically, if you have if you have music in a library, you're not gonna get rich if you have one song in that library. No. Well, so it, well, 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 <laughs> Unless, well. I mean, yeah. Well, the Beatles thing—that's a whole right, other thing. Right. But, well, but, no. I mean, I've ever, I've, I've even seen like, you know, I'm not gonna get into specifics about it, but I'll say that you know, we have a song in our library that's pretty popular. That's uh-huh. been licensed like crazy. And I believe this person doesn't have very many songs, but off of that one song, he just got really lucky. It was just uh-huh. a popular one and, and it gets licensed like crazy. And it so, was it was a full song. It was like the No, instrumental. it's the instrumental. It's, it's no instrumental. vocal. Nope. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it, but it's been it's just been used multiple, multiple times. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All yeah. right. Well, there is hope. <laughs> There's hope. Yeah, I would say it's few and far between, but um, you know, we all that's like a actually a running joke in the office. Like, man, <laughs> wish we could have like came up with that and put that in the library because it's, it's everywhere. Out of curiosity, what genre is it in? It's it's like an indie song. It's um indie rock. Not indie rock. More of like a 
actually, you know what? It's not even really indie pop. It's more, it's it's kind of folk-ish, you know? Like, there's the oohs and the ahs and the claps mm-hmm. and the snaps. Like, just really ad-friendly. So, it's it's, it's not like a, a song, though. It's just, you know, instrumental, mm-hmm. some vocalese, and it's just... It, it's really popular. Okay. So basically what you're saying is that, I mean, there's an opportunity for music composers who aren't lyricists to actually place music like that. And, you know, there's a chance that it could be used over and over and over. Mm-hmm. And it could be lucrative for the most part. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it can happen. All right. And this person that you're talking about isn't isn't well known. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he got really lucky. Is there is there any advice that you could give composers to making their music more usable or sellable for what you do? Well, I'll say this. Um, one of the worst things you can say to our um, CEO is that I do everything. You know, like I can pop, rock, hip hop, like him hearing that is like, a, well, that to me, you know, that I'm hearing that you don't there's not one thing that you really focus on and that you're really good at. So I would say that would be what I would recommend also. Like, don't try to do everything. If you're good at something, be great at it and focus on that. Maybe not even try too hard. I mean, you definitely want to pay attention to who your, you know, your audience is. You know, do some research on what's used in television. Do some research on what's used in film in advertising but if you you know if you're a hip-hop artist i wouldn't recommend you go and try to make an indie song for advertising because that just might not be your lane you know Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. and and you know hip-hop music is used it's used in film it's used in tv so let that be your focus you know just just basically do what you do well and and have a little faith that's great advice. Very good advice. I mean, I and there's a lot of people who say I do it all. I do I do everything. I yeah. Can. And when you really really think about it, there's certain things that you do exceptionally well. Mm-hmm. And then you may you can may be able to do some other types of music, but you might not be as good at it as you think you are. Right. So do you um do you refer to the music in the in the library as cues? Yes. Yeah. We we call it that. I mean, we say track cues. There's a few different terms that are kind of like interchangeable, but yes. Okay. Okay. A music cue probably comes from um, when a production is wrapped, they have to submit cue sheets to the PROs. And that is how PROs then take that and determine who they need to pay, basically. So it's um, the cue sheet will have every single cue that was used Mm. in a specific show. So let's just say I'm a, a kid in Iowa who makes awesome hip hop beats in my bedroom. And I have a pretty extensive uh, library of, of hip hop beats. Maybe I don't know, let's say a hundred, maybe 200 beats. And I'm looking to put my music somewhere on television. What would your suggestion be for me? How would I go about that? With, with this being a digital age, like you can be wherever you are, like producing music, right? Like you don't necessarily, unless you're going to, you know, work directly with a label or a publisher or a music library. I don't even know that you necessarily need to live in, you know, one of the major cities. But what I would say is that, I mean, relationships definitely do help. I I can't, you know, they just do. That's just, you know, it's just, that's just the business. You could try to align yourself with a music library. You have a couple hundred. I mean, you could even try reaching out to networks directly. I mean, I think that's becoming more and more difficult. I think there was a time where they were a lot more open, but, you know, again, it, it can 
all of that administration, you know, because then it's, it's them sort of administering it is is a little messy. So it's it's easier for them to just use libraries and not have all of these individual deals with with artists. But another thing that I've seen happen is if you have relationships with like executive producers or showrunners of a particular show that can hold a lot of weight too. Like, I mean, I've, I've seen instances where I've gone into a production company and, you know, asked like, okay, well, what are you using on this show? And they're like, oh, well, the showrunner has a relationship with this person. So that's who we're using. Like, oh, okay. You know? And so people come up like that too. Gotcha. I know, I know I, I went to a music conference, uh, billboard music for television and film conference last year. They actually gave some great advice on the process of actually getting your music on the television shows and all that. And one of the things that they said, and I, I don't know if people even do this, but it this, it started here. They said, before you actually even submit music to shows or whatever, you should watch the shows and see what the kind of music that they're using yeah. to see if, if you, if your music fits that show. Uh-huh. Um, the, the music supervisors were on a panel and they were talking about this and they were like, you know, a lot of times people, submit music for a show and it's the music that they're submitting doesn't even fit what they're doing for the show so they ask that you know as a composer or an artist songwriter any of that that you actually watch the shows so you become aware of the stuff that they're using and then you can actually submit you know to to the music supervisors for that show right so then they they actually said and one of the ways to figure out who the music supervisors are is to Record the show on your DVR and go to the credits at the end and look and see who the music supervisors are or even the music library and get that pertinent information and then go from there in, in terms of submitting your music. Yep. That's, yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. So there is a bit of, uh, I guess, I guess you got to be pretty smart <laughs> rather than just randomly sending music out there. Right. Yeah, yeah. for sure. I guess in terms of the music that is submitted, there's there probably is like a, a a requirement in terms of quality of the music that is in the library, right? For our library, yes. And uh, and and is that sonically like like does it have to re- meet a certain standard? It, it definitely, sonically? sound quality is definitely a big thing for us. Um, okay. Yeah. So I'm, I would imagine like at least comparable in terms of, of something that you would hear on the radio or yes. something that's out like definitely. You know, we've had instances where we've been asked to ID, ID a track. Um, it, you know, a track might have got used in the cut and the client can't re- recall where they got it from. So they'll send it over to us and ask if we can listen to it. And, you know, in some cases, just in the first few seconds, quality-wise, we can just say, nope, that's not us. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there is some music that ends up being used that's not all that great. You know, it, that it happens. But just um, that sort of our, what we're known for. Um, is is quality, so it's it's important for us. Um, how do you see the music licensing world in terms of moving forward in it? Like, you see it actually thriving and continuing to do well. That's an interesting question. Um, okay, what I'll say is that there's there's always going to be content, right? There's always going to be shows being produced. I mean, we all know like the, all the changes with cable and everything going to streaming, so. There will always be content, um, and with the content, you're always going to need music to license, you know, music for shows to, to carry the content. So I will say in that regard, I think there'll, you know, there'll always be a need for music licensing. 
in terms of how much money is in it or will continue to be in it or opportunities of entry. Um, not sure over time how that's going to look or pan out. Like I said, with all the changes, I think at one point cable was booming. You know, it was a lot of money there, um, but it, it's it's all changed. You know, there's there's a lot of it's all in the news. You know, um, a, a lot of major networks they're um, they're just they're not doing that well because uh, you know, especially these kids now, like they don't really watch TV. Everything is streaming, mm-hmm. so they're all trying to figure that out. Um, and with doing that, they've they've cut back in a lot of areas, one of them being, you know, maybe the the number of libraries that they once dealt with or paid for. So it, it's there's a there's a definite price difference in terms of licensing music on a major network as opposed to, to cable television. Yes, there is definitely a difference in price. Um, there's also a huge difference on the back end. Yeah. So like you're getting paid from your PRO. The price difference is huge. Yes, it can be could be anywhere from two to three cents per second on a a not so popular cable station to three to four dollars per second on a major network. That's huge. Yes, and it also depends. You know, duration is plays a part in there too. Like if your song is only used for a few seconds versus you know a full minute, that's per second the amount of money that you're going to generate for use how does licensing work in terms with like netflix or amazon are the licenses pretty much the same or is the pay the same do you know from our perspective it's been a little bit more the thing that's tricky about streaming that i think is still being worked out in the industry as a whole is how it's going to look in terms again of the back end from getting paid from pros right yeah, just just as in as in um any music streaming service where the royalty is like extremely low right now. It's interesting to see or I'm even interested to see how it's all gonna pan out like in the next year or two. Yeah. Me too. I'm curious, <laughs> to, see. I'm curious to see too. And and I was basically referring to the fact like I know um Pharrell saw his statement from Happy from being streamed on Spotify on one of the big one of the larger streaming right. companies. Mm-hmm. And I mean it had like forty four million hits mm-hmm. and his royalty check was like eleven hundred dollars. Yeah. So Yeah, that's that's a big in the music industry, that is a yeah. big issue. So historically music publishers always won out in terms of like royalty you know what they got paid off of a cd and also you know for a public performance but with streaming it's not the case um so it's it's been a lot you know about that like in the courts and and everything um with with streaming and trying to work that all out It, it just the industry is just changing so fast now it's hard to almost like keep up with it and the laws that are in place aren't really set for all of this digital streaming so it's you know a lot of these things are having to be revisited and re worked out well said technology is moving faster than the law yes (laughs) (laughs) so i i I mean this is this is pretty random right here but i mean it's something that you may be able to elaborate on from your professional point of view break down the criteria of perfectly submitted songs or group of songs what is what does that look like Again, I would just say, you know, how the song is structured. If if it's mixed really well, if it sounds really good, if you're submitting, you know, if there's a vocal, you also want to submit the instrumental version. If you could do a 30 second version too, sometimes that's useful. If you could do a few minus mixes where you might take the lead instrument out um, and have a couple different alternate versions of your song. 
Um, and then again, always most importantly is just for, for my purposes anyway, would be, um, having a sting out. Gotcha. So that, that sting out is pretty much used on, on all versions. Yes. Yes. Every, every version of your song is still going to have, even if you do your 30 second, that 30 second is still going to sting out. Gotcha. And then who is like the perfect type of composer, like in terms of people that are easy to work with and collaborate with? I mean, what is it about them that makes them easy to, to work with? Well, I don't work directly with composers at Extreme. Um, I'll say when I was at the startup and I did. Yeah, people who just basically all the things I just said, you know, if, if they submitted music, if with all their information that was needed, you know, clean cut, maybe it was only like two or three writers on it. Um, so it was easy in terms of registration and the splits. And um, they submitted a complete package, you know, all the, all the music was ready to go for licensing. So all the different versions and everything that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and I imagine them being accessible and easy to get a hold of uh, helps as well, right? The composers themselves? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, well, yeah, and not, you know, in a... Email, email addresses right. and, yeah, you know, if you need to ask a question, they can, you know, get right back to you. Mm-hmm. So do you see any any need in terms of content with uh, maybe not extreme, but even other libraries? Like, do you see an area of music that they could use more of in terms of genres? This actually takes me back to what you just said. You know, you were um, when you went to that conference a little while back. Mm -hmm. I would say just paying attention to the trends, you know, looking at what's popular on television, what's popular in film and just paying attention to like what's going on. And then that should give an idea or a cue as to what's needed. Gotcha. So I guess uh, just to wrap this up, Mm -hmm. what does the future hold for Tyra Elder? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, that is a good question. Um, well, you know, like, again, I'm, I'm new out here in L.A., um, even though I've been with Extreme for close to five years now. This this is a new market for me um, in terms of the clients and everything are different. So just really building that up, um, getting getting myself more uh, affiliated and associated with the, the network out here in L.A., um, I would say that would be short term, you know, over the next year or so. And just really establishing myself here and like working with my team to continue to grow the television broadcast portion of the industry. And yeah, that's about it. Okay. Well, thank you again, Tyra, for coming on and appreciate all the advice and for taking your time to share with Breaking Down the Business. Yes. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Breaking Down the Business. Here's a sneak peek into next week's episode. Love doing interviews, and Ro and I go so far back, probably from not the first record company I was at, but the second record company, and we've been together ever since. You know, I always tell people one thing about me, you never, ever, ever get rid of me. You might not talk to me for five or ten years, but you will never, I will call for my favor. It's like, it's like the mafia. I'm calling you back for a favor, and you better show up. No. She's like that virus you can't get, get rid of. I'm like the bad girlfriend virus. Like, oh my God, Allison's calling. You know she wants something.